and welcome back to Bottled Banter. I'm excited for this week's guest. I have Carrington Broman. Say hello. Hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm so happy to have her here. She's a world traveler, female entrepreneur, owner of a local boutique called The Most Beautiful Thing in the World Is. And you're kicking ass in the fashion industry, <laughs> whether you want to admit it or not. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever possible, kicking ass in the fashion industry, actually. It's such a changing, dynamic field that it's hard to, like, keep ahead. I don't know if it's, yeah. I don't even know if that's a possibility. Sorry, deep thoughts for the first for the beginning first five minutes. <laughs> and you own this eclectic boutique located on Six West Twelfth Street, correct? Yes, on Twelfth Street, right, uh, right across from Vine, off of Micah. And you essentially act as your own buyer, and you bring in pieces from all over the world, right? I do. I started out bringing in a lot of pieces from Mexico and South Africa and Australia, which are all places that I've lived, and even Cairo. Um, They were quite high-priced, and they're textiles, and they didn't move as quickly as clothing. So then I kind of, I switched a little bit more to clothing, and I've tried to find my niche there. I think... One of the things that I'm proudest of and the thing that's been the hardest is opening us coming to back to the States after being gone for 10 years and opening a store within four months and having no clue what fashion was in the States. I kind of assumed that fashion was the same all over the world. But when I came back to the States, fashion was completely unknown to me, mm-hmm. which I find that strange because strange. you would think that like Australian Vogue or South African Mary Claire or the London magazines would all have some degree of a similar thread of fashion going through it. Mm-hmm. And it was completely different. Can you tell a little bit to our listeners about your background, where you started? I think you have some really interesting stories because you come from, you come from... My assistant manager says, or my manager, brother, not assistant, my manager, brother, my boss, pretty much, tells me I tell this to everyone, but uh, it's a long story. But I, I grew up on an island in the Keys, so it was very isolated. It was kind of an idyllic lifestyle, but a bit isolated for a child. I went to school in Miami. I went to school for double major of art, history, and English at Columbia. And um, actually, my first two years, I spent at U of Penn. Um, I worked as an art specialist in contemporary art at Sotheby's, which I still to this day have no idea how I got that job. There are about eight people in the department. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, getting the job, just getting there, it's like... They don't pay you a salary. You should just be so lucky to work there. It's kind of... It's the same with Condé Nast. I had a best friend at the same time working at Vogue. Um, But the rumor was that I was related to Pablo Picasso, (laughs) which is hysterical, and you're laughing because (laughs) I could not look more Spanish. (laughs) I look... I do not look Basque. I do not look Spanish. I do not remotely relate to Pablo Picasso, at least... At all. So that's how you got in. Yeah, apparently. But I don't know. That could have just been a rumor. I'm not quite sure how (laughs) I got in. But I did get in. It was great and wonderful for the first, like, four or five years. 
I met amazing people. I um, like amazing, amazing people. I sold amazing, amazing art. This your first, is you told me your first. My first client was actually David Bowie, which is hard to That's believe so now. Awesome. I know it is, and I didn't actually, I didn't really like David Bowie at that time. He wasn't yeah. going through a cool period, or at least in my mind, I was like, "Ugh, David Bowie, okay." And when the receptionist said David Bowie was here for. For me, I thought this is surely a friend, a practical joke. And when I go outside, it's not going to be David Bowie. Yeah. So I go outside, and there's a guy in a hoodie, and he's wearing all black, and he's kind of slinking around. And I go up to him, and I'm like, "Hi, I'm Carrington. You know, can I help you? What do you want to see?" And he wanted to see Jeff Koons' um, "Bubbles and Chimp," which was Michael Jackson and the Chimp. Mm-hmm. I think right now it's actually in the Amsterdam Museum. I can't remember. But he wanted to see it um, because it was going up for auction for, I think, about $10 million, which was a really high price. That was probably about 10 years ago. So that was quite a high price. And I just remember that he did have two different color eyes, and it was kind of spooky looking. Yeah. You know he is has two different no, colors. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. That was an known fact. Yeah, it is. I mean, he does have what two colors. Color. One is green, like hazel, and the other one's brown. Oh. Interesting. I know, and lately I've become obsessed with David Bowie, and I wish that I was obsessed with him as I am now then. Then, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I got to meet people like that, and it was this really strange, incestuous world because there aren't very many people who can afford $20 million pieces of art in their... In their home. But I also got to hang out with art like, you know, Jackson Pollock, Damien Hirst... Um, and from there on, you went to. And from there on, I met my husband, who was South African. I never even knew an Afrikaner existed. Where did you meet him? I met him at a, um, a party. We had a, a film director who was a friend in common, and it was in a Chinese Chinatown loft, and the ceilings were probably four feet high. So it was mm-hmm. a really one of those strange New York parties where we're all bending down, but we're having the best time. Yeah. And um, that's where I met him. And you knew. Yeah, we actually, it was really funny. Someone started playing it, and this was before Pulp Fiction, maybe. I might be dating myself. But (laughs) all of a sudden, there was, like, a biker gang there, but, like, a really cool biker gang. Like, I just thought they were the coolest because they were all smoking their cigarettes really cool. And they all just started twisting. And I was like, this is the coolest I've ever seen. And then... Theo, my husband now, started mm-hmm. twisting as well. So we all started twisting. <laughs> and it was just like a really like and for cool... for those who don't know what twisting is. What? For those who don't know what twisting well, it's, is. It's what they did in Pulp Fiction with, you know, Uma Thurman mm-hmm. and John Travolta. Mm-hmm. And I still think it's the coolest dance. I mean, it doesn't require, like, much <laughs> instruction. Yes. But, like, if you do it, you know, with a cigarette hanging out of your mouth, I don't espouse smoking, but... It does look cool sometimes. But anyway, <laughs> I just thought this was the coolest thing ever. And he charmed me off my pants and um, said, how you say that? Well, anyway, something <laughs> like that. And, um, and you guys And then married? No, we didn't marry at all. I thought marrying was so boring and bourgeoisie. I was like, forget it. I'm not going to get married. I mean, I had no dreams of having like some weird taffeta satin dress and like weird people sitting at tables and doing toast I mean that was just never something that I wanted uh-huh. I'd rather just travel spend the money traveling yeah you know I, like with four of my best trip. friends and just like like ooh, who wants but like satin tied bows on the back of their chairs it's just not my aesthetic 
It's, it's never been my game plan. And we like to push the limits. My, my brother has always accused me of being a rebel just for the sake of being a rebel. And, and maybe that's true. But for me, that was just never what I wanted to with my life. Up. Yeah. So for us, getting married was just like, ugh, whatever. Yeah. We're just going to travel. So we traveled. We lived in Cairo. We lived in Joburg. We lived in Cape Town. I spent 10 years in Cape and Town. And that's where your accent's from, Cape Town. Yes. And I don't hear my accent at all. And, dry, and it's a really strange thing, but I know I have an accent. So this isn't like a Lindsay Lohan thing where she. No, I'm not. No, over. not at all. I hope <laughs> not. No. I think I tried to do a French one, not a Dutch one and so like oh yeah I'd pick a better one um and then we lived in Australia as well we lived in Melbourne and then um during that time I was instead of art I got into clothing yes so you dove into high-end fashion well, yeah. Well, I worked my way up, to be honest. I mean, I was in a new country. They could have cared less about Sotheby's. They could have cared less that I went to Colombia. They didn't give a shit, actually. Um, pardon my French, but... And in South Africa, they actually... If you're... If there's someone that's qualified for the position and they're black, they're African, they will get the position over you. Mm. So it's extremely and the, and, hard and for white Africans to get so any is, jobs. So is it that a stereotype? Do you think? Is that why is that? Just because it's they because understand of apartheid. the culture? No, it's because of apartheid and what happened in the nineties. That this is reparation. So it would be as if America said, "We are sorry for what happened for slavery. Mm-hmm. So this is what we're going to do." So that's wow. what South Africa did. Wow. So it. On the one hand, it's extremely hard to work at, like, get a job. But on the other hand, it has created amazing entrepreneurs that are South African. I mean, Elon Musk went to high school with my husband. And there are so many. Where I read was somewhere that? that. What? Where was that? In Joburg, Johannesburg. Okay. Um, I read somewhere that there are, I mean, based on how many South Africans are in the world, they're the most entrepreneurial I would have never people. guessed. But they have to be because there's no other because way they'll there's get no a other job. Option, right? Yeah, it's really it's, so it's really a strange low class economy. Or high. Yeah, there's a big disparity. And you and I remember you telling me you kind of left Cape Town for a couple reasons, and one being that they're cutting off water supply. Cutting off water supply stems from a lot of. I mean, it's not just that they're cutting off water supply. They're cutting off water supply because the government is completely not investing in the infrastructure, and all the money is being embezzled. So there's no money that's going back into electricity. So they ration electricity. So you have to turn your lights off at a certain time. Mm-hmm. You only have a certain amount of water. Mm-hmm. Mm, the garbage is not necessarily being recycled. Mm. It might The sewage might be going back into the lake. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're living this colonial lifestyle. It's beautiful. It is one of the... It is by far the most beautiful place I've ever been on Earth. People are amazing. The design and the aesthetic is out of this world. And I cannot stress that enough. It is out of this world. The restaurants, there are three top 50 restaurants in Cape Town, and they're just amazing. But at the same time, all of these things are falling down in the background, and you just don't know when the system's going to actually break. I mm-hmm. mean, it's one thing to be like a colonial housewife with five housekeepers, which this is literally how people live, and six you know, drivers and Maybe whatever, and- because you start adopting people and just paying for people. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, paying people because you just feel like, and it's weird because it's kind of a sense of community because you're taking care, like, that's people almost how are I, like that's what how it was in Nicaragua. Yeah, well. it's like a, you take care like you and you pay for their their schooling uh-huh. and their college and getting a degree, and you feel like a sense of family, but you also feel at the same time that, and I, that any time these people could say screw you, this isn't right. Why do you have all this? And why do I have nothing? And it's like I used to get robbed. Maybe I mean I used to get. The first week I was there, someone threw a brick in my driving seat window when I was driving and came in and, like, lurched across me and got my bag. Oh, you were in the car? Yeah, I was in the car. And I was freaking out. And, like, I was freaking... This never happened to me. I didn't know what this guy wanted. And this huge guy... And it was 6 a.m. in the morning, and I was stuck on an off-ramp in, like, one of the nicest areas coming back from working out. And he just threw this huge brick at me. Oh, my God. And it's really violent if you ever Google smash and grab on, like, YouTube or anything. It's a really violent thing. And then I just kind of got used to, like... You know, every six months, someone's stealing that's something so from me or that doing that, something. That, that became your reality. Yeah, but I kind of felt like this was giving back to the community in a really perverse way. <laughs> because perverse. and I, <laughs> no, it is actually because if you think about it, like South Africa has no student shooters in schools or high schools. I mean, that mm. would be like a luxury. These people are doing it because they have to eat and they have to feed mm-hmm. their family. Like, have you ever... I mean, it would be absurd for someone in South Africa to go into a school and shoot people. Like, that just doesn't make sense. The only reason they're committing crimes is because they are desperate. They are completely desperate. They're not eating. So, it's just a totally different take on how things function. Well, so what you've told me... Yes. (laughs) On a lighter note. Yeah. (laughs) What you've told me is... Very, it's a highly diverse and it's extremely radical and it's pretty damn authentic for you to go out and do what you want and let the universe kind of work itself out for you in a way. And apart from what you choose to do and the decisions you make, but I think that it ties back to your vision that you've created in retail. So do you bring a lot of these pieces from from all over the world? Is Is your vision to bring in aesthetic and value from other parts of the world so that we can experience I, I tried it too. to do that, but it wasn't... I tried to do that, and I keep doing that. But the price points and the way it's situated is not did not work with a Cincinnati audience, to right. be honest. I mean, I will have water-gilded gold jacaranda wood from the forests of... Um, the West Coast or Indian Post in Africa, and they'll be $300. And mm-hmm. Cincinnatians will just, like, freak out. They'll rather go to Almond Iron and buy, you know, something that is cheaper and more decorative. But and anyone linked to fashion has a clear taste of their own. I think they have a clear taste of their own, but I find that American fashion... Um, I found it really strange when I came back to America when I was speaking about fashion that it had become this kind of like ugly look like 
everywhere else I'd been, like Australia and London, people were looking sexy and showing their bodies and things. And it had become like this tent dress, like where these could, really where we big could dresses. Wear dresses without bras. What here? Yes. Or? Yeah. What do you mean? Like that's what's going on? Yeah, we're we're kind of shifting into that mentality where I don't mind about bras. Movies. Like I think that's cool. That's sexy. That's fine. Yeah. But like there was just this kind of thing where it was just like these oversized like sustainable like linen and like this like and I felt like oh my god this looks like a hospital gown I cannot deal with this I want to feel like a woman I want trousers that fit I want them I want a tank top that's sexy even though I'm how old I don't care I still can be sexy I tried on a lunch I remember when I first came in the first time I came in guys I clicked with you automatically and I was traveling to Hilton Head and you picked out two amazing dresses for me one I wore on my trip and one I wore to Keeneland but I was also trying on these beautiful like almost lingerie-esque um the tops. bathing suits no they were tops but they were almost looked like they were like a lingerie oh, top I know which and one. they're they're beautiful I mean everything you have I know, in they're your store insane. is beautiful they're so good but I yeah, but they're different. So I think people are still. I mean, I couldn't have probably. No offense to Cincinnati. I love Cincinnati. It's great. The people are nice. But I find it a really conservative town, and I find it conservative because the majority of money is coming from these really old school conservative companies. Sorry, Procter and Gamble. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Macy's. It's okay. But like. I have people who work at Procter & Gamble, and they come in and they say they can't wear velvet because it's 280s. I'm like, that was last year. I'm not mm-hmm. interested in velvet anywhere. But I was so like, velvet's out for you. It's okay if you do it right, but I'm not going to, like, wear a whole suit of, like, you know, yeah. layer of velvet upon velvet. Right. I'm going to look like some, yeah, that's not going to happen. But um, I was just like, oh, my God, these people are so strange. Like, no... <laughs> I'm gonna get a really bad rep and rep since No, tonight. you're not. But I'm- I had just come from Melbourne, which is like I didn't know Melbourne from you know from kangaroo from any other strange animal they have, which they have a lot of. But they their fashion sense is completely forward. Like women who work at the biggest corporations or banks are wearing all leather and looking like they should be in Matrix. I mean, uh-huh. they are all like, you know how Kim Kardashian has that editor of Vogue uh-huh. who's like her like little stylist? Yes. They're like full on like that and full on sexy. And they are just like, it's almost like they're armored. And then I came to the States and it was like, what's going on? This is so weird. And all of the um, department stores look like dust balls. And like, I mean, like <laughs> dust balls should be, not dust balls, but what are they in the desert? Like dust Whatever should be flying through them. It's just sad and empty, the malls. It is. They don't even have those things overseas. I don't go to malls anymore. I cannot handle malls. Unless I need to walk into Forever and buy a faux fur jacket that doesn't look like it's from Forever. No, I cannot. (laughs) It is so depressing. We talked talked about brands a little bit. mm -hmm. And being in the advertising world, um, it's become... Debranding is more so rebranding. So a lot of we see a lot of brands like debranding themselves. And we talked a little bit about how much you cannot stand these brands. Like, what do you mean? Like, what brands? Give me, remind me of an example. Uh, I don't know, like Adidas, for example. How they're starting to mix music and art and culture and creating something more than just apparel, but the experience and 
the vision that people bring to the table surrounding the brand. I agree with that, but I wonder how much longevity people like, I mean, Adidas and Nike actually have. I think people have because of the internet, because of the fast pace, because the world is flat, which was said, what, three years ago, four years ago, that people are looking for authenticity. And I don't think people are necessarily looking for things that are always pretty or beautiful. I think people, like, there's a lot of pain in the world, and I think obviously with politics and with everything going on especially like my reintroduction to the states I don't think beauty is always the answer sometimes I think that people want something more and more complicated Mm -hmm. and I think that goes to what we were talking to before even the podcast saying that it's like art Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not touched necessarily by a pretty picture of a bouquet of flowers. Right. And like You're more touched by something that is actually going to be viscerally like, um, you know, like, for example, the Cincinnati Art Museum. I love the Villem mm-hmm. Kentridge um, animation downstairs. I mean, it's so meaningful to me living in Cape Town and apartheid and people were slaves and things like that. And I just find that people who are doing amazing work in New York, like that I really love, Ekas Lata, Off-White, I mean, these people are mixing things that are not necessarily pretty, pretty. Mm-hmm. So there's, and like I said before, there's kind of this marriage between culture of pop art and fashion design and art influences fashion and I think art and design for the both of us mm-hmm. um, is a massive part of our lives, but how things are done for an artist is much different than how they're done from done at a fashion house. You know, they're two totally different cultures. An example is like Andy Warhol when like the 50s and the 60s when he started bringing together like the, that paper dress craze. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when he started? He did the paper doll thing. Uh-huh. He like did a paper doll dress, right? Yeah, but he went through this, like, uh, this craze where he started taking, like, a label of, like, tomato canned soup and turning it into a dress. And that's when mm-hmm. kind of, or, like, that's when pop culture, when he kind of added his own twist of art and design into fashion. I mean, it goes back and forth, but I think that, like, for example, when I was young and in college and in New York and, like, what, the early 2000s or whatever, I would always see Chloe Savani sitting outside Liquid Sky in a Halloween costume. This mm-hmm. was her normal wear. And it was like a paper costume, but she made it look cool. And then, and of course, we all idolized her. We right. were like, this girl is fucking with our heads. Right. And, and then, we like it. And we see Lady Gaga, who came out. And I don't know if you watch her documentary on Netflix. It's, no, I didn't watch it. It's her. pretty rad. She, so it talks a little bit about, like, she went through that stage of her life when she would come out with these insane and sometimes ridiculously stupid costumes Mm -hmm. and almost like to shock the world because she wanted to give the world what the world wasn't expecting. And now she's kind of shifted her reality into more of um, stripping down and like bearing it all of who she truly is and giving the people what they aren't expecting anymore yeah. which is because like the she almost pigeonholed herself into something where she couldn't like raise the level anymore people were expecting so much how can right. she keep doing that right. and that's something that I as a store never want to do I want to keep surprising people but I never want to pigeonhole myself into like one thing 
you have a lot of eclectic pieces. Yeah, like, like um, I never want to be like, like oh, home. I'm the girl who's the New York flavor, or I'm the girl who's just like pastels. Like I find that so limiting. I don't know if it's like. I just want to have something for everyone, mm-hmm. and I want them to interpret it. I, I don't feel want that it, way when I I'm don't want to too. interpret it for them. Like, I find it offensive if I go to a store, and it's too much, and this is going to sound strange to a lot of people, and it's too much someone's personality. Uh-huh. I find, like, I don't belong here. Like, yeah. I don't want... I don't want to be you. It's, it's, I want to be I me. I think great examples. Do you know like, what I mean? Like Coach or Michael Kors or Kate Spade or those brands. That and I don't like, like any of those. Right, right. But I just find that when I go into like sometimes, yeah, a store that it's just like, ugh, like this, I don't want to be even near you. Uh-huh. Well, I, I want my own mix of things. And you do. You, you have eclectic pieces and like art like inspired um like home pieces like uh, I have crazy home things and I that was first you know that's first kind of just to get like that they're always husbands with the wives (laughs) they need to be entertained so like like put them over there and then you have handmade earrings yeah and like yeah different things and there's some people that I just fall in love with and they don't sell worth a dime but then I'll get like you know, in Cincinnati, they don't sell... No offense, Cincinnati, sorry. But, like, in New York, or I'll get some weird order from Beverly Hills or New York or mm-hmm. some... Or Japan. And they'll just buy everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, someone sees what I see. And I'm not mad that I no one else sees it. I think that's interesting that you're placed in Cincinnati, but your market is elsewhere. I know. It's kind of a problem because I feel like I have two different customers... But it excites me to no end. This is probably really lame on my part, but to see stockists and it's like New York, Paris, and Cincinnati. I'm like, yes, that's cool. Uh-huh. I mean, my friends are like, what are you? Why are you in Cincinnati? And I, I really, really like Cincinnati. I like the ease. I like the feeling of people being genuinely nice. Mm-hmm. Um. My husband is a strategist for LPK, and he finds he is a bit of a shit stir. My husband, and he's made his <laughs> he's done really great work being a shit stir, and I guess that's what his job entails. But he finds that Midwest people are too agreeable. He thinks yes. no one has an opinion. People are afraid to make other people upset. That's the damn truth. Is it the damn truth? It is. I don't from my it store is. and the people it because is. I. Yeah, I mean, then that's good to know. I don't find it in my store. I think that, and I, and I think that millennials are starting to converge from that idea because we are starting to understand um, the reality of becoming our own selves and figuring out what it is that we love instead of going against like these stereotypes and these stigmas of what. Yeah, I think people have to. At least I hope. Life so. could be is terribly boring if you don't know who you are and if you don't go on a journey and you don't take risks and you don't like. It's a, it's incredibly boring and yeah, that is, a lot of people don't know this, but the reason why I kind of started this podcast was I went through a pretty like traumatic like breakup in my life and afterwards I was like I don't really know who I am right now without this person and that was something to me that was incredibly valuable but like in a bad way yeah because I should know who I am without having to be with someone else else. exactly or have to put forth a lot of my effort and a lot of my time to someone else and not 
caring for myself. Well, and and that was when I was like, I need to discover myself and I need to discover other people and I need to discover the world around me. And that was how this kind of escalated into what it is today. It's a scary, it can be a scary, dark, deep dive when you're by yourself. I mean, when I'm in New York and then everyone's like, you're going to Africa? Are you crazy? Like you went to school. I mean, you went to the, you know, the right schools. You got the right whatever all to be in New York. And New York is completely self-referential. Like mm-hmm. you are in the place where everything happens. And I'm like, I'm going to Africa. That's almost I was, too much for me. New York is too much for me. It was a good place for me at the time because I could meet like people in a nightclub and mm-hmm. they would be the top of my industry yeah, and things yeah, would change. Yeah. And I have amazing memories. But now I'm not really. You're not as in much your twenties and your thirties. Or yeah. So, um, yeah, it's hard to find you, you. It's hard because you're alone and you have to figure out who you are, but it's worthwhile. Totally. But I don't think people really get sometimes don't get that until it's like late and you Too have late. some like. And then you're having kids and then you can't travel the world. You have responsibilities yes. and you're stuck in like robo land and behind a two, uh, you know, picket fence and like. 2.5 whatever and blah 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 um for me it was a leap of faith it always and is i was told by someone that you should always try to be in that place where you're a bit unsure but in your belly you have this kind of excitement feeling yeah and i got that when yeah. she's when my friend told me this. I got what she was saying, and, and I was then, like, "You're right." And then, when not that went, scary feeling, but like that kind of like gut that like, tells you this is the right thing to do, and yeah. this is what makes me happy, and this is the happiness that I didn't know of before. But you have this feeling like this is scary, but there's something that excites me about that. That's I. That's what, what keeps you going. You think? Yeah, and it sucks actually in some ways because like there are so many times like I could have rested on my laurels. I had the perfect life in Cape Town, perfect life in Australia, and my husband and I inevitably said, "We're flipping bored. Let's start all over again." And here we are, starting all over again, buying a house, doing this and doing that. It just seems that we're like addicted to like keep trying new things. And a lot of that comes probably from our relationship is that we just, we are eternally curious. And I also get that from my family. I mean, I had a 98-year-old aunt who just died recently, and she bought her first gas station at 14 years old. And when she was 14, gas stations were not even like, (laughs) gas stations were like the sign of the future. Right. (laughs) Right. And her, she went to her dad to ask for money. Her dad was like, sorry, you're going to have to go to the bank. So she went to the bank. So this entrepreneurship is runs in the family. That, uh, yeah, I have really strong women in my family, and I I completely idolize them. I idolize them so much. I mean, it, like, makes me cry. And, like, my husband, now that he's been here and met them, which was the whole point of coming back here, is the same. He's like, these women are amazing. I mean, I saw my 98-year-old aunt when she was 96 um, walk down the aisle of the church with her last child who had predeceased her. She had four children. They all predeceased her. They all died before her. Mm-hmm. She was on a walker walking behind him. It just broke my heart. That's but this incredible. woman just kept on ticking. <laughs> and she was like, every time you saw her, no matter like how sick she is or what she's going, she looked at you with some like, like 
naughtiness, like this, like look of like naughty. Like she wanted just to get into trouble, and she's like, "Hey, what's up, kiddo?" <laughs> and she was just like always, you know, she had Cosmos and Oreos for breakfast. <laughs> she was just like a badass. Yeah, she did what she wanted when she wanted to, she where she wanted to. Depend on a man, she just did her thing. So. I kind of want to get into trends with you. Okay. And we could, that's how we can kind of end okay. end here today because... I'm blabbing on. <laughs> no, you're not. We, lo- we love to hear. Okay. We love to hear this kind of stuff. Um, so, okay. Question for you. Trends to stay away from oh, summer sure. and... Let's start with summer. Maybe winter if you want to get into winter since oh, you just God. went to winter showcases. Ugh. What to I'm stay like, away oh, from? Oh I have a few God. things. I have a few okay, things can, on my mind. You start because um, I think there ruffles be- one. Oh, so over ruffles. Ru- I hate the shirts that have the ruffles uh, before they meet the elbows. I I cannot stand them. I think they need to be banned from like the fashion industry. Period. It's hard because on one hand I hate them, but on the other hand they're commercial, and that's the job of a buyer. You know, you have to like. Well, you have to make money. You have to pay the damn bills. Yeah. And that's what I learned working for department stores. I mean, I'd have to stand up in a group of like twenty people, and like they'd all tell me what they thought of an outfit. I never knew when I was in college that that was a fucking excuse. Me, my language that that was a career <laughs> choice I always thought I could either be a fashion designer or I could be a writer uh-huh. that was it as far as oh, fashion and okay. my parents will like think that both of them suck so I was an art historian mm-hmm. which was then I figured out I could be a buyer and this could like work with my business skills and everything like that anyway so yeah you have to measure what's commercial I think ruffles as far as New York goes ruffles and one shoulders and one all shoulders of that is out. over one shoulder oh. out. Oh, I love the one shoulder though, but that's but good to hear. I, having said that, I just have the most amazing brand. It's it's really well priced, all organic cotton, Who and they, they do one shoulders by Sign S I G N E from uh-huh. Turkey, and she just does such phenomenal work, and it looks so good on everyone that I actually that don't you, care that you can't not sway away from it. I mean, a one shoulder high waisted white pants and black mules, mm-hmm. your hair up high. Perfect. Yeah. I can see myself in Greece in that. Okay. Do you sec- know what I mean? Yes, yes. Like, come on. Second, fringe. Fringe? Yes. Fringe dresses, fringe shoes. I have, I have some booties well, that Well, Nomi, I just did a collection with fringe, and it was really quite beautiful. Um, I have a shawl with dip-dyed fringe that's from the 1920s. It's gorgeous. That you haven't been able to get away from. Yeah, but I... It doesn't bother me either or. Okay, here's know. a really easy one. Okay. Plastic. Plastic? Yes. Like I've plastic seen it, bags and like stuff? Like plastic, like, yeah. Like plastic. Well, we we, we saw it a lot of runway, Which is a show after uh-huh. the fashion shows the where they have all the brands and everything. It's a nightmare. But anyway, <laughs> they gave out plastic bags for some brand who was doing plastic bags. I'm not sure if it's a trend. I'm not into the clear but plastic bags. But I just think bags. it's ugly. I don't think anyone needs to see what's in your plastic clear bag, A. B, I see, like, plastic. I think it's ugly. I think so, too. I think what trends... Do you think it's it's, it's geared more towards just, like, recycling? Is that is that the state oh, of mind? No. I mean, Kendall Jenner doesn't give a... I'm sorry. She doesn't, she doesn't, doesn't give, give No, a not one. her, but, this, but the designer. Oh, no. No. Designers, I'm sorry. Design. There are some designers probably who are sitting and thinking about recycling, but I can tell you that's about point zero zero one at that. <laughs> My best friend in, when I was in college was 
Jeremy Scott. Mm. And he was like... Do you still keep in contact? No, because I'll just say no. (laughs) But the people who made it from fashion college to be these personas and egos that are head of houses are not necessarily the most technologically gifted, but they're the people that will do anything to get ahead. To get ahead. And that's okay. That's fine. I think that's fine because I think that's the kind of person that that kind of house needs. Yeah. I mean, do you want to spend your life being in paparazzi or going to parties or being in the back pages of all the magazines? If you do, then I think that's a great career for you. But I don't necessarily think they're the people that are actually doing the most artistic, creative, interesting work. Yes, agree. Okay, third, and then I'll get, and then I'll let you navigate the conversation. Third, checkered prints. I have been really into like checkered, um, long button downs. coats or jackets that go really well with like striped dresses so I'm wondering do I stay in the checker department or I always like checks but I like checks I don't know if it's houndstooth or checks but Azadina Lyle like in the 80s did a check and it was based on a Paris market bag which was like basically the Walmart of Paris and it just like exploded and I still think that check is so chic mm-hmm. and he just passed away and they're doing a major mm-hmm. retrospective and um so I think check is always good. okay good that's I the like answer I wanted to hear <laughs> I like a do, good you have, check. do you have and some checks in, in house right now I do actually. okay cool I'll come check it I out. have one like um wrap dress it's very Audrey Hepburn and a weird yeah way. Oh, I want to check it out. What do you? What are we? What should we stay away from? What is oh. out of? What's out of season besides the one shoulder? It's out of sta- Out of season. Yeah. I do not want to wear a coat that's been prostituted and been thirsty on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I'm sorry, but I'm not walking down any street with that coat that everyone knows who it's by, and everyone knows how much it costs. I learned, like, when I thought I was going to be a creative writer or I was going to be an author, that was my first, like, you know, whatever I was going to be, that never be tagged. That was what my teacher told me, and he was amazing. He said, never be tagged. Never have people know where your characters are coming from. And I still think the same thing I love the idea behind that. I know, right? Yes. And it's like... Because then you can be your, who you are without you branding yourself. I want you to ask me where I got that. I don't want to be a brand. I'm right. not a walking advertisement. Right. Don't jam it down my damn throat. Yeah. Like, I can pick up pieces and little things and be my own person. And I'll grab something maybe from South Africa, maybe when I went here and there. And, like, maybe some haraches when I went to, you know, Mexico or whatever. But I don't want to be what's on the cover of Shop Bop. It just doesn't interest me. It just makes me sick. What's your go-to, like, uh, magazines, editorial, online imprint? Do you stay away from Vogue? Yeah, do you stay I do. Away from... You know what? I used to be the biggest magazine hoarder. Like, back in the day, I was, like, Face, ID. Uh-huh. Like, I loved that whole period. I went... Like, well, it's hit... almost what you kind of had... You, you needed time. to know at the and time. And now it's just, like, so... I mean... I don't know why, but I get free magazines at the store, and I'm like, bleh. I'm even embarrassed that they're even sitting there. I'm like, I didn't order these. What uh-huh. is going on? I don't go to anything. I go to Instagram. There are certain key people that I like to look at their shows because they always do something a little bit off-center that, like, 
I get and I appreciate them taking the risk. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. I think, like, with people in the march, you know, the other day in the Parktown students, yes. people want to see sincerity, authenticity. They want to see them, people be themselves. And I think that translates into trends. I don't think trends are going to be a trend anymore. I mean, I was, like, talking to my friends, you know, 13-year-old. He's like, I don't wear that because it's, like, in the basic realm. I was like, what's the basic realm? <laughs> He's like, Adidas is in the basic realm. I'm like, I will not wear it because, like, basic people wear it. Right, right. But that comes back to, like, my point before, you know? Yeah, like, I just, I think that... Maybe debranding is just the future of... It's not debranding because that already happened with, like, um, Marjela and Andemule and Meester and all these people. I think it's just people having the courage to, like, be their own person and experiment and not necessarily think that one place is dictates what they wear. Right. Right? Yeah. It's like a leap. Like you you can do you You, you can do you. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you can still have a lot of value in it. And a lot of people appreciate yeah. that. And I think you should always have a little bit of what the fuck. Yeah. Always. Yeah. I mean, I used to wear uh, today I used to I'm wear- wearing today I'm wearing this top that is um a pajama set. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. It looks great. <laughs> I used to wear these shoes by Mew Mew that had, like, big sparkles all over them. And my great aunt, who was the 98-year-old woman I was talking about, was like, those are the ugliest fuckers I've ever... Those are the ugliest motherfuckers <laughs> I've ever seen. And then she'd walk out with a walker. Yeah. But I think you must always have a little bit that makes someone go, like, wait, that person might be a little bit interesting. Yeah, because they're thinking outside the realm and they're not going with the trend. Yeah. Okay, last question. Yeah. Key trends, key looks, key trends we should keep our eye on the radar for. Summer and winter. Uh, I guess we... Well, no, let's not get into winter. We're, I feel like we're still in winter. No. Summer. Well, I know it feels like we're still in winter, but I just went to the winter shows, yeah. and everything, weirdly enough, was red and green, which I find so bizarre because obviously that's Christmas colors. Right. And it's just bizarre on a lot of levels. I've seen a um, lot of bold prints for trends, summer trends. Bold red, orange, less pastel. Yeah, I'm over pastel. I can appreciate a soft pink, but if you give me, like, pink, 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 I just can't deal. Yes. So I'm over the millennial pink. I'm over the I was never into pink. it. It never hit Australia. Hate to disappoint U.S. Americans and whatever. It was only in America. It's hard, though, pink. because this millennial pink transcribes with empowered in women, too. I promise. Pink and like the wing and all this stuff. I, I find it. I'm and you're, so into and you're the wing. Pouring me more wine, which is making me more crazy. <laughs> um, I find it hypocritical. I find it completely hypocritical. What color is for men? Ugh. And I think pink is like so feminine. It's neither ne- here nor there. It's like it's like not making a choice. Like I'll wear pink. Like who dares to wear red? No one. Like fucking red. Wear. I used to wear like. When I was in New York, I used to wear bikini tops, Louboutins, and, like, some weird poof skirt I got from the 80s, you know? And my husband would be like, are you ready? And I'm like, yes. He'd be like, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm sure. And I would be photographed always in paparazzi, always. People, like, that's what life's about. Like, fuck around with stuff. Yeah. Don't be boring. I agree. 
That's my last line. Don't be boring. (laughs) (laughs) This wine we're drinking, we haven't really touched upon. Oh yeah, we have. This wine we're drinking um, Uh, is not boring either. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, the bottle is empty. Yeah. So this is the Valdegay. It's um, Valdegay is what they in the French. It sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it was once, like, originally, essentially, Napa's Gamay grape varietal, uh-huh. um, if you will. And it kind of provided a base for many, like, wine-mimicking, like, French Beaujolais. Um, mm-hmm. There's about... So, okay, there was, like, na- 950 acres in Napa that stood in Napa in, like, 1970s, early 1970s. And now, I think... As of 2015, anyone can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think about, like, 2022 remain in Napa. And the wine that we're drinking is actually um, a Cruz Valdegay vineyard, and they're among one of the survivors from what is left there. Um, So his vineyard is located in northern California. It's northeast Napa, so we're talking, like, between San Fran and Santa Rosa between Santa Rosa and Sacramento, above San Fran. And uh, I, whenever I bring up the Santa Rosa, it always rem- it reminds me of the wildfires. And mm-hmm. and, it, and luckily, he was not affected by that, from to my knowledge. But um, I love this wine. It is very... It's, it's, it's really good. I highly it's, it's recommend a, it. It's a pet nat, which we've opened before on the, po- on the podcast. But this is interesting. It's a, new, it's a 16, 2016 vintage. Um, I'm a big fan of Michael Cruz and the work that he does, and yeah, it's neither sweet nor I don't know. It's, it's a spark. Kind of it's like a sparkling, but it drinks like almost a rosé and a white, but it has that sparkling note to it as well. I know, which is strange because usually the sparkling always comes with sweet, mm-hmm. and, and a little more fruit forward. Yeah, which is what throws people off, or yeah, this the is complete kind of opposite, like which is dry wine la croix. Yes. <laughs> if that's okay to say. Yes. Well, cheers to today's episode. Cheers. Thank chin you for chin, darling. Yes, thank you for Yay, coming on. I appreciate it's my pleasure. your story is amazing and I hope that a lot of women can relate to Well, Hello. I feel now with the women, you know, me too. I hope that women can stand out of the shadows and really experiment with being their own selves and finding out who that is. Yeah. Cheers to that. Cheers One to last that. Cheers. Chin, chin. Okay, last cheers. Thanks chin. for coming on. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Yay. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time. Yay.